and go to the book of John, chapter number 8. Before I begin reading, I just want to kind of give you the backstory on this message several months ago. In fact, it was the beginning of May, the first week of May. The Lord dropped this message in my spirit, and I, I wrote the whole thing out. Never preached it. And that's odd, because I don't do that. And, and two or three weeks later, I was in prayer. The Lord spoke to me and said, remember that message I gave you? I said, yes, sir. He said, when you go to Brother Hughes' church, you're going to preach it. And I didn't know when I was coming. I said, all right. About a month later, I was in prayer again. The Lord spoke to me and said, remember that message I gave you? Yes, sir. When you go to Brother Hughes' church, it's going to be one of the first messages you preach in that church. I said, okay, God. And so when I was getting ready to come here last week, I went to prayer again, and the Lord spoke to me and said, remember that message I gave you? Yes, sir. That's going to be one of the first messages that you're going to preach in that church. I said, all right, God. So if you think I missed it tonight by the time I'm done, just pray for me. But I just want to follow what I feel in the Holy Ghost for a little while tonight. Beginning with verse 1, Jesus went under the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto her, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, so though he heard them not, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, but being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We've heard that passage many times, but if you'll allow me the next few moments, I, I want to preach from this thought. Put down those stones. Put down those stones. Would you help me pray, Father? If I've ever needed the help of the Holy Ghost, I need you tonight to step into this place. God, I need you to take each and every word, bathe it in love, and deliver it on angels' wings into our hearts tonight. I, I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us so plainly. God, that you would speak to us like never before. Let us leave knowing tonight, God, that we have heard from your word tonight. And we clapped our hands under the Lord tonight. Bless you, you may be seated tonight in the presence of the Lord. Put down those stones woven into the genetic makeup of each individual is the element which separates humanity from deity. 
This, of course, is not by design, rather by default, because of the fall of humanity, because of sin. Sin knows no skin color, knows no social status. It visits us regardless of gender, and it seeks us regardless of intellect or affluence. It visits the palatial estate as well as the pauper's meager dwelling. It walks every hallway and every classroom as well as visits every sporting event. It's visible on the red carpet with each high-profile celebrity, yet it's subtle enough to tiptoe in the secret place which no man can see. Everybody is subject to sin. Everybody who has ever lived knows sin. Paul said it like this, there is none righteous. No, not even one. We're all familiar with the element of sin. Nobody had to teach us how to misbehave when we were kids. It was part of our genetic makeup. It was the sin factor. It was our carnal nature. Nobody had to teach us how to lie to try to get out of a spanking. It just, it, it, it came natural. Nobody had to teach us how to cheat or, or how to rebel. It, it is woven into the fabric, into the DNA of humanity. Our wrongdoing is embarrassing. It's shameful. It's hurtful. It's full of guilt. Perhaps no one other than God knows our faults and our failures like we do. When we look into the mirror every day, the only person that knows the truth about us is us, other than God. In fact, I'll go beyond that and say God knows even more than we know, because God knows motives. And many times we may think about our intent and our motives, but we will, will not speak it to others. And God sees beyond that. God sees who we really are. God sees the heart. And because of the magnitude of our wrongdoing and the effects of sin, the redemptive work of Calvary and the mercy of God means so much to us. Friend, there's never been a liberty and never will be a liberty like the liberty of the Holy Ghost. There's never been a feeling greater than when every chain of sin is broken. Everything that held us back is broken. And we step into a dimension of liberty that our carnal nature never knew before. Because of the blood and because of His Spirit. Paul said much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. One old preacher once said, well, he was asked by a young one, what does justified mean? He said, son, in simplest terms, it means just as if it never happened. When you get the blood applied to your life, it's just as if you were never a drug addict, just as if you never drank a sip of alcohol. Oh, that may not mean much to you, but you let an addict come to God. You'll see somebody who's happy to be set free by the blood of the Lamb. Justified. Just as if it never happened. Redeemed. Set free delivered. 
a brand new start, if you will. Some of us, I don't even know that kind of lifestyle. But that doesn't mean I'm not grateful for the redemptive power of Calvary. That doesn't mean I'm not grateful for the fact that God set me free from what once held me back. No, it may not have been a cigarette. It may not have been a beer. It may not have been gambling or any of that stuff. But I'm just as grateful because I've been redeemed. The power of Jesus Christ cleanses us and his spirit empowers us. It'll turn a drug addict into a soul winner. It'll turn a gambler into an usher. It'll turn an alcoholic into an owl runner. It'll turn a prostitute into a choir member. It'll turn a liar into an intercessor. And it'll turn a thief into a tithe payer. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's just as real today as it's ever been before. The capabilities of God's power are limitless. However, I'm afraid sometimes we equate the necessity of God's power with those who live in gross darkness and terrible sin. And as a result, justify our actions because they are not seemingly as bad as others. Perhaps you think it's okay because you're right. Thus it was in John chapter 8 when Jesus was approached by those uh, who were righteous, those who had their act together. It was there Jesus was seated in the temple and all the people were listening as Jesus spoke. And he was approached by the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious sect, the church folk, maybe multiple generation of church people, people who knew what to do and when to do it. They knew how to kneel and how to do this and how to do that. They, they had everything in order. They were good old church people. And it was there that they brought an adulterous woman. They put her in the midst exposing her for the sin that she had committed. And they said, Jesus, Moses said to stone her. Now you've got to watch this because you'll miss it if you skim over it. Notice that Jesus was first seated. And as the judge, he could have executed judgment from the seated position. The first thing Jesus did when confronted with this situation is he changed his posture. And he moved from the seated position. He got out of the realm of judgment. He got out of the area where he he had all right to cast judgment, but he changed his posture because mercy rejoices against judgment. And the position of mercy in this case was Jesus had to move from the seated position as a judge. And mercy stooped down and began to write on the ground. I don't know what he wrote. Don't matter what he wrote. Some say he wrote all of their sins. I, I have no proof of that. That was that's speculation, in my opinion. I don't know what he wrote. But whatever it was, I believe it began to stir the hearts of these men. I, I believe somewhere they, they stood and Jesus finally stood up and said, He that is without sin, let, let him cast the first stone. They were poised. They were ready. They were ready to execute judgment on a situation that maybe they didn't even know everything about. Jesus said, he that is without sin. Possibly the greatest words mercy ever uttered. 
he that is without sin. See, Jesus did not excuse her sin by making that statement. But he highlighted the sin of the seemingly righteous. He was not making excuses for this woman. But rather he used this example to show them the error of their ways. Because they put value on gross sin and terrific sin and things that we see everybody do way out in the open. But he was showing them, hold up just a minute. What you're doing is just as wrong as what this woman was caught doing. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. In comparing their accusations with their past mistakes, these people were forced to put down their stones. These people were forced to look back over their life and say, you know what? What I'm doing now is just as wrong as what I did back then. Now, we know that people who come off the streets and they've got problems, and they're, they're lost. We know they need God. We know they need the mercy of God and the forgiving power of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. We know that. But I'm afraid sometimes we equate the necessity of God's power for just those people. But the reality of it is, when we come to God, just because we change Directions in our sin does not mean that we don't need God's power and God's forgiveness. This is what Jesus was trying to show these people. We can read this and think there's no way I would do that to a sinner. We can read it and think this is so far off base from where I am. I would never do this to somebody who's coming to God. I would never do this to somebody who's totally lost. But the the reality is just because we get the Holy Ghost doesn't mean we're perfect. We still mess up. We still make mistakes. We still make poor decisions. We're human. Hmm. But we're quick to focus on other people's problems. Many times we're guilty of holding our own stones. Many times we're guilty of coming to church and the whole time we're trying to worship, we've got a stone in this hand and a stone in that hand because such and such did this or so and so said this or you wouldn't even believe what they said or did. We're trying to lift up holy hands, but the whole time we have wrath and doubting. Stones, stones. Can I tell you this? Small piece of advice, 99.99% of the time, the people who did the wrong know they did the wrong. The people who messed up know they messed up. They know they're wrong. They know they need to be in church. They know they need to get their act together. They know that. But some of us take it as perhaps our ministry or our responsibility Cast stones. It could be a pastor. It could be an assistant. It could be a fellow saint. It could be a new convert. It could be a musician. We're all subject to failure. Making the matters worse are those who are supposed to be with us. Turning against us. And we validate our accusations by it being 
true. Another piece of advice. True accusations can hurt worse than false accusations. Just because it's true doesn't need to be publicized. Just because it did happen doesn't mean everybody needs to know it happened. I don't care what they did. That person knows where they stand with God. They know they messed up. They know they did wrong. They know they're walking in the air of their way. The last thing they need is somebody who's supposed to be on their side uh, turning a stone their way. God needs no help in uncovering the truth. In my short ministry, in my short life, and you'll understand where I'm coming from, truth is exposed. God doesn't need us to help uncover truth. He doesn't need. There's a person. This is another state, so I I can feel comfortable in saying this. It's a true story. This person was a pastor, a Pentecostal pastor. And supposedly he was having affairs. It came down to the such where the church had a vote of confidence. Even his own wife and his own daughter voted against him. His own wife and own daughter. The Bible says, touch not mine anointed, doeth my prophet no harm. I still believe that God is in perfect control. still believe God knows how to handle every situation. And it split the church. His own wife and his own daughter voted against him. But wouldn't you know, just not too long after that, the man died in a car wreck. God would have taken care of the whole thing. God needs no help in exposing anything. God can do it all by himself. But sometimes we take it upon our own selves. Well, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so. Well, you don't want to pray for him. You want to be the first person to talk about him. You had no intent of praying for that person. You want to be the first person to say, see, we've alleviated our conscience in this aspect. We've learned to bridle the tongue, but we haven't tamed the fingers. And we think because we're not speaking it, we're not sinning. But our motives are impure. And we have just shifted the means by where we keep the pot stirred up. And we text about it, but we won't talk about it. If Jesus shifted from the seated position to the seat of mercy, how much more should we who are feeble, who have problems, who are not perfect, should we get out of our seat of judgment and get in the seat of mercy and say, Sister, I'm praying for it. I love God's going to help you, brother. Don't let it bring you down. God's going to raise you back up. See, we're individual enough to formulate opinions, ideas, theories, or any other notion regarding people, churches, or His Word. But we must never make the mistake of equating what we think with what God thinks. Because He said, my ways are higher than your ways. My fault. 
there's no way that your thoughts will ever equate to my thoughts. There's no way you can understand my perception of this individual. Everything you see about this person is tainted by your emotions, your knowledge, and your feelings. That's why he told Samuel, don't you look on the outside when you're choosing a king. Because everything we think, every judgment we make is warped by how we feel. It's warped by what we've been through. If you had a bad experience when you was a kid swimming and you almost drowned, there'd be a high it'd be highly likely that you will be cautious with your kids because of your past experiences, because of your past hurts, because of your past failures. You, so Jesus said, don't, don't, don't think or look at these people and think that you know everything. I'm looking at something totally different. Regardless of how right I am about a person, place, thing, or idea, it will never rise above God or His mercy. Therefore, it is in my best interest to withhold anything that causes strife or division. I don't care how right I think I am. If it's going to bring division and strife in the body of Christ, it makes me wrong. I could be right in every which way. But if it's going to hurt somebody, then I'm wrong. If it's going to cause damage, then I'm wrong. God will take care of all that stuff. But there's a big chance that it can be taken care of in an altar, too. Big chance. Hmm. Luke said, and why beholdest, or Jesus said in Luke, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam in thine own eye? It's always easy to see somebody else's problem. It's always easy to see what somebody else should do in this situation or what they shouldn't do. They know better. You know what? They may know better, but haven't you made poor decisions in your life? I've made them. When I knew better, they, they don't need somebody. I was in a Bible study with a guy one time. Some people are so, they mean so much, they, they mean well. But the filter doesn't work too good sometimes between what they think and what they say. I know y'all don't know anybody like that, but I had this guy I was working on, teaching him Bible study, trying to get him in church, and he he had he had a big old beard, and he he kept telling me I don't I don't want nobody to talk to me about my beard. I said, man, forget the beard. Let's just let's just dive in the Word of God. Let's fall in love with God. Man, I I got him in a Bible study. He can't, he got the Holy Ghost. He was baptized in Jesus' name. He was coming. He was on fire. He wasn't missing a Bible study. And one day, poof, he's gone. Won't answer my phone calls. Won't talk to me. And I, I mean, it threw me for a loop because here I am, this guy, I'm pumped. I thought he was pumped. And it took me several months to figure out what happened. Finally, word got back to me what happened. It was after a, a, a service. Somebody came to him and started talking to him about having to shave his face to make it to heaven. The one area he was the most vulnerable and the weakest, some well-meaning saint took it upon themselves to approach something that they had no business approaching. Now, I know I'm talking about facial hair, but can I talk to you about other areas in people's lives that, that they're vulnerable? Some areas that they, that's their one thing that they're struggling with, things in their life that that's one area. And some people take it upon themselves to, 
time to put down those stones and recognize that you're just as wrong as that person who messed up. I'm just as wrong for, for accusing and judging as that person who messed up. Just as wrong. In fact, in this case, God sided with the person who, who had a terrible sin. In this case, he chose a person that everybody would have wrote off and said, there's no way. She'll never make it in our, our church. Hey, can I tell you that this world is full of backsliders who had nothing against the pulpit. They had nothing against standards. They had nothing against the pastor. They loved this truth, but they just couldn't handle the fact that when they came to church uh, and even when they left, people wouldn't stop throwing stones. People wouldn't stop talking about them. People wouldn't stop texting about them. I'm just being real. God laid this on my heart. Church, this is a safe haven. This should not be a place that people have to be worried about beaten up by people who supposedly love them. But this is a place of open arms where we say, you know what? People with problems are accepted here. People who have mess ups are accepted here. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how long you've been in church. Everybody has a place in the house of God. I don't know. It could be that the, the accusers felt threatened. I know people who just throw stones just because they're insecure in their own selves. They feel threatened. They're worried they may be replaced. It may not happen here, but it does happen in other churches. People will, I'm not going to say they're going to fabricate something about somebody. But what they're saying may not be the whole truth. And their motives are impure. And how could you go to heaven and live with somebody that you can't live with down here? Are you going to be threatened in heaven because they made it? Are you going to be worried they're going to take your harp? Are you you going to be worried they're going to take your position? Just because... Brother Landon's used by God doesn't mean I can't be used by God. And just because Brother so-and-so can sing doesn't mean I can't sing. And just because Sister so-and-so can do this doesn't mean I... So just because I feel threatened doesn't give me a right to, to throw a stone to prevent them from stepping into the realm in which I'm being used. Paul said, Peter said this, finally... Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren to be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Stand with me as the musicians come. I feel a check in my spirit. I've gone long enough. It's because of our carnal nature that we still struggle with our first desire of wanting to defend ourselves or defend something that we believe in. They thought they were right in picking up those stones. Well, Moses said this. 
They felt justified. They had rationalized it in their mind. They thought they were taking the right approach in throwing stones. But Jesus, because of mercy, mercy rejoiceth. James said that against judgment. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this. I believe some of us are going to be surprised as to who makes it to heaven. I believe that. And then, I believe some of us are going to be surprised at who didn't make it to heaven. Because we place value on what is seen. And we, more times than we would like to admit it, will judge a person. I'll stand at the front of the line. Just like I, I remember one old guy used to come to the feed store. He drove an old beat-up truck. He wore the rattiest clothes. I mean, just looking at him walking in, you'd have thought, that man's a hobo. That man had more money than most people who ever came in that store. But our nature, we want to judge him. We want to judge him. And if we do that in the physical realm, then you better believe it happens in the spiritual realm. But I believe tonight, it's the will of God. It's pleasing to the Lord if if everybody in this place came down to this altar. And before we lifted our hands, we put down our stones. We say, God, you know what? Let me examine my own heart. God, let me look at myself and make sure I'm not hindering anything from happening in this service. Make sure I'm not hindering anything from happening in this church. I wonder if there's anybody in this place that says, God, I'm going to come down there and I want to get my heart right. God, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to examine myself and make sure that I'm not throwing stones at somebody who can't defend themselves. I'm not saying things about somebody that, that they don't even know that I'm saying. Oh, God, I want a pure heart.